And then if you'll turn either in your bulletin or in your Bible, we'll begin reading our passage for today, which is from Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, all, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this Sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and um, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy." And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central. And I, sorry, Children's Church was, I didn't get to the mic before Children's Church was uh, dismissed because today is Harrison's birthday. Um, he is now in double digits. He's 10 today. No turning back. No turning back at this point. So 10 years old, my goodness. Okay, um, he's getting older, we're not. It's amazing how that works amazing. It's like we're going that way. Um, what, but we begin a new sermon series in the book of Acts, and Acts is a continuation of the gospel of Luke. If the scrolls were long enough back then to be rolled up, one commentator alluded to, then you might have one giant book of Luke, Acts, but so what we have in Acts is a continuation of the ministry Jesus lived, died, and resurrected for. And per its title, we are asking and hope to get answered with Jesus gone into heaven now. How is God going to act? How do you and I, who believe along with the disciples back then, act in and react to a religion with a resurrected Savior who can't be seen anymore? Well, we are typically tempted, like these men and women whom Jesus left behind, to go off on one or, or two directions to over-spiritualize and philosophize the acts of Jesus and promote just another moral, good, ethical philosophy of living for the world to muse and pontificate and illustrate and subjugate and make personal. Or we are tempted to make it a religion that is only practical and only as influential and powerful as the things we human beings are, are capable of doing, that, that is a worldly institution only, built on the ideals of a once-and-gone leader in Jesus. And now our goal is to keep his dreams alive, even if it's just putting his face or, or the likeness of his face on the back of funeral fans and talk about what that great leader Jesus would do in this or that situation. Yet this book shows a people and a God who act unlike any entity and people the world has ever and will ever know. Acts is God making history, unfolding it with, with people, power, and his personal involvement. And what an important journey for us as a church to take for the next few months, because you know how in counseling, some of you who go to counseling, how they seek to, to figure out what is wrong with you or why you may be the way you are by working on a family genealogy or history. This book is a churchgoer, born-again folks' family history. It helps us know how we should act and why we should act and how God is acting in believers. And it is important because if the God of the Bible is God, and he is, the Christian faith is about a God who calls people to make history, who gives power to make history, and gives a Lord to make history. So at the beginning of this book, Jesus has been hanging out 
with his disciples for about 40 days after he rose from the dead. He is teaching them all sorts of things. And I am sure after 40 days being with them that the disciples are expecting that he's there to stay. To do all the things they thought he was saying he would do. Like, you know, take out the Roman Empire and take out the corrupt religious leaders and be the second coming of King David and rule. And in cryptic response to their expectations, he tells them about how this thing is going to happen from here on out. He says this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then to their surprise, he floats up. The, the proper word is ascended into heaven, and that a cloud took him up, and they sat there looking, thinking, I'm sure, that's it? The Bible says they were gazing at the sky. We don't know how long they stood there, but it must have been something worth writing about. They stood there just looking at the sky. And so I'm figuring they're thinking, okay, Jesus, that was a nice trick. Okay, you can rise from the dead and you can fly. Now quit tripping and come back, Jesus, please. And then a couple of angels show up and ask this question in verse 11. Men of Galilee, why do you look? Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why? I'm sure the disciples are thinking, why you ask, ethereal being you? Because Jesus the Lord, resurrected, whom we left our lives to follow, just went up into the sky, man, and we can't see him. And I am not sure they get what Jesus' statement to them meant when he said what he said in verse 7 and 8 about them being witnesses. And now you and I can understand more clearly than they did standing, looking up at the sky, since we have the whole story here before us. Jesus was saying that heaven will come to all the earth. That the kingdom of God will come through into real places, into real people. That heaven, God's stuff will coincide, will impact, will infiltrate. Rather, that God's plan, God's salvation, God's coming redemption of this whole world will properly insert and assert itself in the lives of people in the places where they live. That Christianity will be the middle passage and, and have the middle message between now and the end. Not, not ethereally, not, not pie in the sky, not just spiritually, but really in them and us and we and there and here and everywhere, there is a here or there or them. God intends to drive history. That's his story and our, the world's story, towards what he wants. This is important for us to grasp and for it to grip us. Because Christianity, the ministry, the continuing powerful ministry of Jesus Christ is about movement. 
It is about things happening, real things in the lives of real people. It is about doing things, man, and, and things being done. It's about creating momentum and change and challenge when, when there could be such things. Jesus intends for what he does between now and his second and final coming to be a historical reality to be the history that moves the lives of people. And in every place, though he is not actually physically walking the earth. And we see what he says here in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Heaven, God, is going to crash into you and us. And then through his people, the world and its ways, the metaphysical, supernatural God and his kingdom, not the one you guys are imagining and asking about in verse 6, an earthly kingdom, a human-based grassroots kingdom, but God's kingdom for high is about to be real to you. And you will from that be really changed in the world and its real people and real places will too. And we see what happens next. These 120 disciples or so go to the upper room to receive, as Jesus says, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You know, I suspect that they were thinking, this is the second time this has happened. Jesus leaves us like he did when he died and was buried and came back three days later. Here we go again. You know, Jesus, we probably didn't learn it right the first time. Let's get it right this time. Thomas, stop talking about doubting, and please don't stick your fingers in his open scars and wounds that had to be irritating. And no one call him a ghost this time. And maybe he will stay around. But the Bible says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, and other tongues of the Spirit gave them utterance. What Jesus promised had come. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God himself came into the house, the place, and then into the people. He was impacting real people in a real place. The place shook with wind and they spoke with other foreign tongues. And there were visible tongues of fire appearing to them and resting on them. Real people with a real God encounter. So what is going on? These 120 were already followers and believers in Jesus. 
but they did not have the power or life change. I say life because the word wind in verse 2 means breath, as in new life. They did not have the life change necessary to testify about Jesus without Jesus actually being there. Now God was there in them through the Holy Spirit. They could now, as, as, as regular people, impacted by God, be a people who are used to bring God's kingdom all over the world. And the sign of their being filled with the Spirit, the outward evidence is speaking in earthly foreign tongues. But what do the tongues mean? Look with me at verse 5. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? The fact that they were understood by people who were in the city as their own languages tells us what this means. It means that God's truth, that Jesus' ministry lives and has come to and is at work in the lives of people. The sign of the Holy Spirit's work is that people are being affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their worlds, that their culture, that their economics, their social standing, the way they live and speak and what they speak and, and what they say and, and live the way they live and how they live the way they live, that, that, that the way they experience life, the way they act, will be and have been drawn in and challenged and addressed and changed for and by God's purpose on earth, by God's powerful work on earth. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It is for those who are Christ, who are baptized as belonging to Jesus, enabled to know and live out the experience of being a believer. It means being empowered, that you are living out your faith in the real world, in real places. It is being made alive to and by the Lord Jesus you follow. How else can I describe it? My man in verse 13 had it right. Others were mocking, said, they are filled with, the, with new wine. He spoke drunk, right? Because it is literally and truly like having your life inebriated by the Spirit of God. For the task and life of living as a believer in Christ, drunk with God's living presence. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, you see and live things in a otherworldly, in this world, God slant. The proper term for what the ABC store sells, the liquor store, is spirits. Right? And it fits here. Because being filled with the Spirit means you have drunk 
and taken a dive and been poured in by the God Kool-Aid. It means that you have lost your mind and gotten a heavenly mentality. You give the Lord of the Bible a thought, whether a first or second thought, but he is on and in your mind and your thoughts and in your lives. And some of you are crazy enough or crazed enough by this Holy Spirit filling to represent him to the world. An invisible God. And to have this Bible message and God and holiness stuff weigh heavily on your life. Some of you are struggling, Pastor Brown, I'm having a real struggle in my faith and what it means to know and be close to God and whether you're doing the right thing. Why? Why are you struggling? I don't see nothing happening. Who are you struggling with? Because the living God, the Holy Spirit, is truly moving in you and impacting you and your world. And many of you talk about being a believer. Or or I go to church kind of statements. Have you lost your mind? I mean, think about this thing sort of scientifically, just completely empirically. It just doesn't make sense. I'm a believer. I go to church. We worship Jesus. When is he going to show up? You're crazy enough to speak to yourself and others and have it spoken to you through the Bible and preaching and worship services and such about Jesus. And that is why the vision of the promise is tongues of fire. Fire means when we study the Bible, God's holy presence. Fire means God's guiding light, God's warmth for those who are cold, and God's setting things on course, creating a spark of change. The sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that God's people are being God's people are experiencing firsthand for themselves the light, the love, truth, guidance, spark, change, and will in turn share it with and in the world to be used by God as those who are sparked to set the course of history. That believers are changed for the task, coming and living in this dark and cold world with a God-given fire and light and comfort, and truth. But we are talking about some serious power here then, aren't we? Because as Jesus says, he's giving power to change the world for God's glory and mankind's good. Now, this whole Holy Spirit tongue thing happened during Pentecost. Pentecost was a Jewish pilgrimage festival commemorating the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. So people would be filling the major cities to celebrate. This is like a Jewish harvest fest that it appears the disciples of Jesus had turned into an Oktoberfest. And so when the disciples of Jesus started speaking in towns, like we said, the devout men, which are the ones with the good sense, as they're called, assumed they had already began the liquid celebration early. But Peter said, it's too early for that. We go to church, then we drink, right? It, we, it's too early. It ain't even 3 o'clock. We had not had the evening service yet. It ain't dark enough to drink as much as you want to yet. 
But many recognized that they were speaking in their hometown languages as Jews who had moved to other places outside of Jerusalem were visiting. So 120 folk were basically preaching in other folks' dialect, prophesying about God and his goodness. And look at the text with me. At first, the crowd was what? Verse 6. They were bewildered. And then they were what? Verse 7 amazed and astonished. What we see is the power of God come on them, but God's power is unlike any power. It is so invisible. It is so unclear. It is clear that, 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 that devout men, as the Bible says, good godly people can't see this, that they don't see what's happening as the power of God at all. They're bewildered. And then verse 13 says what? These folk are drunk. They're filled with new wine. God's power, hear this, God's power is often more than not a power that can't be seen and expected all the time. Now the disciples have felt it when the house was shaken, and they knew and felt it as they were speaking in other tongues, but the world they were called to impact did not and could not interpret or see it at first as God's power. In fact, it looked like foolishness. They put on a party that got out of hand. Some church folk who got into the communion wine a little early or just a bunch of misguided, afflicted souls, 120 crazy cousins at the family reunion. So always don't agree with me. We've got to mess it up for everybody else. That's what they're thinking. These folk messing it up for everybody else. We come to have a good time, and they got to get drunk early. But this is what I want you to recognize, that God's power is undercover most times. You don't and can't see it coming. You can't put a mold or make or model number on it. It is women and fishermen and rejects and runaways and former users and criminals. It is a small group. It is about followers of a man who died over a month ago who is not around to actually see and touch. It is a slow and under the radar and seen as just another good moral group in the city kind of power. When you look at God's kingdom, you and most people will not see its coming. You will not see its breadth and length and its reach and its ability. Forget these big church buildings in Charlotte. Okay, forget it for a minute. Because it has filled itself and squeezed itself by God's Spirit into those of us who are his people. It comes into human beings. Like you and me, cropped and torn and unsure and insecure and crazy in our own right. So God's power... God's spirit is acting and happening in buildings like the neighborhood theater. And in small congregations like ours, God power, God's power at work looks like, get this, you. Regular old women and children and infants and community groups and prayer groups. And it's on the down low, undercover, and most times inauspicious. It is a seed, a, a mustard seed. It is a branch and, and a vine. One branch and one vine in an orchard that will take over. A, a weed, a root that will eventually infiltrate everything. It is as we describe our outreach ministry here at Christ Central Church, a microscopic virus 
that the city and your neighborhood and institutions and your families will feel as, hey, that's just a simple ache or cough in the evil systems. And then as time goes, the gospel will break it down, take it over, rebuild it, and heal it. Because though God's power is invisible, it is dynamic. It is a bomb. It is the bomb, right? Look at, back at what Jesus says in verse 8 in chapter 1. We cannot take his words lightly, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, we're not talking me talking about power. Amen, power to the people. You know, gather some folks around in a barbershop. We need to get the power back. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about your silly power. We're not even talking about the Duke power. Hey, we're going to get some power from the river. You know, we're going to dam up the thing. And we, no, I'm not talking about that kind of power. Imagine who's saying this. This is Jesus Christ, right? This is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he just said, you're going to receive power. You better listen. This ain't regular. What has you said? This ain't regular. The word for power in Greek is dunamis. And it simply means this. Dynamite. Explosive. Dynamic. How can I put it? Kaboom. And it links well with the tongues of fire. Because God has given all the world and all of its people a fuse, a wick. Everybody's got a wick and a fuse. He has, in many people and places, doused the world in their lives with accelerant, with gasoline of his grace. And they are ready and waiting. And when God comes to his people who are just chilling sometimes, just, just being themselves, in a place like his church people, to a people in a place no one sees it about to happen, even God's people. And kaboom, change challenge, redemption, hope, light, healing, miracles. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit manifest and show up and things change. Kaboom, dunamis, dynamite, power. And verse 6 says, people were amazed and astonished. By what? Not just with power of tongue speaking, but look at verse 8 again. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language. All these words, here we go. Parthians and Medes and Alamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. These unlearned folk, they ain't nobody. Let me let you know. They ain't nobody. These disciples, these hundred twenty, they ain't nobody. That's why when they got drunk, we can ignore them. They look like the type that might get drunk. They just look like it. Oh, they drunk? Yeah, that, that's right. They following that Jesus guy. They probably drowning them sorrows in a little, you know, Jack Daniels or something. These unlearned folk are declaring God to us. And they asked what in verse 12 through 13? And all were amazed and perplexed. 
saying to one another, what does this mean? God is speaking to us is what it means. God is getting our attention. Something is happening. A sound drew us in. It is our world and in our lives, and now God's stuff is all up in here. It is explosive to a city that day would happen. And we ain't halfway through the story yet. We ain't going to get through the whole story today. And Peter sees these people whose wicks have been lit, and he explains it. Look at verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, an Old Testament prophet, a, a, someone who told the future back in the day when in old school Jerusalem, Okay. And in the last days it shall be, Joel said, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Peter is saying to them and to us is that this whole Christian thing is about a Lord and God of salvation coming with a plan in person of salvation to the world. Here's the plan. We're going to see it unfold all through the book. Here's the plan. He will use sons and daughters. That's God-born descendants. That's born-again people who receive power to go into the world so that by this one message, the word is prophecy, right? To, 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 to preach, to tell, to proclaim, to let the word and truth of God be known, to be as Jesus told them before he left, to be witnesses, to tell what they've heard from the Lord himself, so that from this one group of people, the whole world, every kind of person and every kind of situation of every kind of prior belief can be made right from every wrong way they have been treated or treated themselves or treated by others. Not only that, but for those Jews who would hear this quotation from Joel, it would have been an unexpected answer to the question about will the kingdom come back to earth? They got to think ethnically here. This was their country. This was their city. And here come the Romans taking over, telling them where they can live and go. Wish somebody tried to tell me that. I'd probably go live there. When is the kingdom coming back? When we got to rise up, man? When we got to take down the man? And here is the unexpected answer. It was much bigger than what they thought. It was a universal answer. A world relief and restoration over all. And from you, group of sons and daughters, crazed and encouraged and drunk by the Holy Spirit to go to the world, the kingdom will be established invisibly but powerfully among all people. Here is what Jesus started and now continues. He is saving the world. 
He is freeing all kinds of people from their brokenness. He is conquering through sons and daughters by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in them to share, to witness. This is how he has chosen to act. This is how he will bring a conclusion and crest to the history of the world. Here's how it's going to happen. You ready? You. Y'all. Yes. You, many who got up here and claimed to be his. Yes, you, the church and churches and church universal are the sons and daughters of the advent of world history and history itself. You are the carriers and receivers of prophecy, of God's truth in the word. It is here that even male and female servants, too, in verse 18, which means this, even the most raggedy, and trust me, we got some raggedy Christians in here, that we raggedy believers, that ones of us who ain't polished or proper at all, we are propped up. Not mean blue blood believers. We don't know all the right Christian things to say. Don't know how a full Bible verse, don't know a full Bible verse to save your own life. Some of us barely making it in church or in faith or in life. Some of you accidentally came to church today. Some of you guys in church, because maybe a woman would give you love and late if you didn't come. I know how these things work. Maybe you're in church today because you want to hook up with somebody and do lunch later. I know how these things work. You barely make it. Some of y'all ain't here for the, you, you know Jesus, but you're sideways here. Some of you have the most jaded background and mistake-laden and rap sheet having, not sure about God all the time. You don't know if you will feel like a Christian tomorrow or not. Surprise! I got a surprise for you. The Spirit of God has been and will be poured upon you and in you too. It reminds me of the fellowship of the ring, the Lord of the Rings. You know, sort of the carriers of salvation in that ring thing. Come on, I know y'all. I'm your pastor. I know y'all. We are not Superman and Wonder Woman. No, believers are the jaded cat women and Robins. Oh, and Frodo's and Gollum's and elves and dwarfs of the world who have been called and filled as carriers of eternal life. Yes, you who have been embraced and called and accepted Jesus Lord are sons and daughters of and in the plan of the divine destiny of all of humanity. This is some serious stuff God has gotten you into. You didn't know that, some of you. God has foreordained, I like that word. He has ordained and foreordained and promised the world is headed towards salvation for and to a broken and fallen place. And we'll flesh that out later about what all this means. But there will be salvation. Not because of your talent or because of our advertisements or flash mob media, whatever we can do. His plan of salvation all falls on the person of salvation. We have all of this great stuff here that Peter repeats from the book of Joel. And yes, it may be assumed that the person in the plan of salvation at this point is the third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. 
But when Jesus made the promise of the Holy Spirit back before he died and rose, he said that God the Holy Spirit would not testify or speak or seek to bring attention to his person, but would come to lead and bring attention to Jesus and what he did. Know how I describe the Trinity? They're all God, right? It's all one God, three persons. And at different times of life, you the man. God tells Jesus, you the man. Jesus says, Father, you the man. And the Father says, Holy Spirit, you the man. No, you the man. <laughs> and it comes out in one message. You say you the man that many times. Three persons, one God comes out one message. God is the man, right? He is Lord. He is divine. The Bible says the Holy Spirit come, and what is he going to do? Jesus is the man. As God, I say Jesus is God. And so being with the Holy Spirit by God himself ends and ends with what? Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I like this sentence. Oh, yeah, Joel is crazy, right? All his moon turned to blood, signs, wonders, and miracles. For what? It shall come to pass. Let me say that again. It shall come to pass. It shall be. It is the way it is. In other words, all of this is for one reason. All we are called to do and be that history's ins and outs falls on this. This is the great hook of life. This is the base and booming beat behind it all. Is this, that, who, everyone. For who? What's the scripture say? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And what is the name under heaven and on earth that all may enter the right side of history, that name is Jesus. And what's in that name? A living Lord, a resurrected, ascended Savior who has come and is present, though not bodily, but spiritually present to save us and love us and walk with us and who return to make all things right and put the final thread on history's chatter. Now, I don't know whether you know what that means. But the name through relationship with him has been given to us to write, to proclaim, to let people know that the Lord they seek, the hope they seek, the help they seek, the joy the world longs for, the deliverance they seek has been revealed. It is Christ Jesus, the Lord. And like the Holy Spirit as he lives in his people and comes to their hearts, souls, and lives who come to Christ, a sign of being filled is that the conversation and the focus stops being about yourself and your ability and only your shortcomings and only your problems and only your excuses and this person and that person did this and that, but that you and I would be more concerned and desperate and settled that there is but one name and one person that can, has helped, and will help you in this world, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit of God doing even to some of you right now? Calling and firing us up and encouraging us and moving us to call on Jesus to right now. Call on his name. To call on him. To call him Lord. 
to call him to be the Lord, to call him to deliver you today, call him to make things right, call him to guide you through the confusion, call him to make history, your past, present, and future life to make sense, call him redeemer, to change, to change things in you for the better, call him provider and protector to guard you from the evil one. It shall come to pass that in this age, with moon turn the darkness and the skies filled with power and all kind of issues and problems and confusions. It shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus, shall be saved. It is what the power of the Spirit's about. It's what the miracles of the church are about that we will see. And it spells the end of navel-gazing for us. The end of just self-introspection and worry. And moving forward to mission and worship and power in Jesus'